0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal a Marca Mesut o Bellerín,
2: otro defensor, otro disparo Monreal Gol. Marca el futbolista español. Marca Nacho Monreal. Pim pam pum.
1: This is Oscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast extra. As always with James from Gunner Blog. James, good evening to you.
2: Good evening to you too. Is this a is this an official Arscast extra then? This I, isn't an Arscast.
1: No, I think we'll do it as an Arscast extra because we're we're do it's Arscast extra style in the sense we're going to talk for a while then we're, we're going to do some questions. So it's an Arscast extra but it's going out on the same day as an Arscast. So, okay. you know. It's It's just another way in which the Europa League is fucking with the podcast and the podcast schedule <laughs> and everything else. People will be going, God, it's, it's, it feels like Friday, but God, it also feels like Monday. I've got a whole week of work to go. This is terrible. Relax. It is Friday. Uh, you've probably it's just been paid. Friday. Yeah, it's just payday it was yesterday or today. So don't worry. It is just a regular old Friday, but we're doing Arse cast Extra style. You know the way I say, as always, with James from Gunnerblog? I don't always say, as always, with James from Gunnerblog and his notes. You just told me you had oh. notes. What's going on here? Yeah. This, this is like a new a new layer, an extra dimension of dedication. Sometimes I have notes,
2: but I have 33 words written down here. Um, <laughs> I can read them to you all now if you like. And Joe, that would just Joe be a
1: podcast. Joe Willett Good, Emile Smith Rowe, Big Tick. It, it's kind
2: of that. So, two of the words are ask cast notes. This is in a, a pages document. <laughs> then it says, um, then I've written down 200 miles, five hours by road, which is the journey Arsenal didn't have to make because the game was obviously switched to Kiev.
1: Okay, the, that's then completely written, irrelevant.
2: Yeah, then I've written Smith-Rowe, three goals, which is three goals this season, yeah. not three goals on the night. Right. I've written Nketiah, reaction. Ainsley Maitland, I haven't even written Ainsley maitland I've written AMN, made sense as left-back. ESR, touch, which is Emil Smith-Rowe, touch. Nketiah would have to be so exceptional... That's the closest to a sentence there is. And then just lastly, finished with six teenagers.
1: So I don't think we need to do the podcast. Now you've heard those extraordinary notes. Absolutely. This is how the professionals do it. You know, John Motson, uh, Barry <laughs> Davis, all the great commentators who go into games with with their pages of notes and everything else. But well, I think you've outshone them there, James. And, uh, you know, put them to shame, basically. Thank you. I mean, are you impressed by how professional they I, I certainly am. What I'm curious about, one though, what does the Eddie and Nket- Eddie Nketiah would have to be exceptional? So exceptional? Does that mean he's got to be exceptional to to get in the team ahead of Aubameyang and like? Is that got to be exceptional tonight to get a goal? What What was the, the thinking there? What,
2: what that was about was that I thought Eddie and was quite good tonight, and mm-hmm. I like all Arsenal fans, I'd love to see uh, an academy product to kind of make the grade centre forward. But when you look at the calibre of centre-forward that we have Mm. and have had I mean take right now you've got Aubameyang and Lacazette two of the best strikers you know in the whole of Europe I suppose all I was thinking was that as good as Nketiah looks at times if he is to make the grade and I'm not saying that he won't he will have to be absolutely brilliant. He'll have to be, you know, a, a once-in-a-generation talent for an academy to produce, to, to be a starting striker at Aston.
1: Yeah, that is true. That is true, because it is the most difficult position, almost, to get into uh, a yeah. team from, from an academy. Yeah, that's true. But that, that feels a bit depressing to me, so I don't want to talk about that. Uh, okay. Because I, right. I, I thought there was a lot to really like about tonight, and I know loads of people uh, are going to say, yeah, you know, Vorskler were shite and they were and they are and that's fine and we can put that on the table right now and say they're not very good but I think on a Oh night- man, they're bad. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, <laughs> we're fine. It's on the table already. It's on the table. We don't need yeah. to add add more to it. But Okay. Okay. I think we need to just look at this game in the context of this game and this game alone and enjoy what we saw on that basis, right? So if we're giving praise to young players in this podcast, it's not like we're saying it's about time we played them in the Premier League. Actually, I think we should play this team against Spurs on Sunday. They did so well. It's not that. It's not saying that all of these players are ready to make the step up and and be first-team players or first-team regulars at Arsenal or anything like that. But just on the basis of the 90 minutes that we saw tonight, Arsenal went away from home, difficult place, minus 12. I mean, fuck that, minus 12, with a load of young players in the team, a smattering of experience to sort of gel it all together in a way, and we won 3-0. And I think there's a lot to like about that and a lot to like uh, about what we saw from some of these players uh, the young ones obviously in particular I mean I'm not saying the the experienced players were bad but just on a night like tonight I think we should just focus on these kids and what they did I think so
2: and it had that Really nice feeling about it. That kind of Carling Cup nostalgia uh, was creeping up in me again because these guys, you know, they came into a a difficult game, you know, a big trip, a big pressure on them to perform, not lots of senior players out there to kind of steady the ship. And they were excellent. They were really, really good. And I, I, like you, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was one of those games where I went into it with some trepidation, thinking this could be... Tricky. I mean, my main fear was not that we'd get hammered, but that it might be really boring, uh, <laughs> as some of these I League grid <laughs> games can be. Yeah. Particularly when it's these kind of thrown together 11s, you know, and it's like they haven't got any coherence to them, any kind of flow. Sure. But actually, I really enjoyed it. And I thought there was some really positive things about the performance. And I think you're right to to focus primarily on those young players, because... They really came through with flying colours. To finish the game with with six uh, six teenagers on the pitch, it's a very proud night for the academy.
1: Sure. And look, you know, we might look at this game as, if not irrelevant, but very low down the pecking order in terms of what we've got coming up this week with the North London Derby on Sunday and then Manchester United. And, you know, our ambitions this season are higher than beating FC Worskla. But for those young players, you know, given the responsibility, given the. The duty of going out there and pulling on the shirt and and doing what was necessary to, to take three points to top the group, as well. We shouldn't overlook that. For them, that's a. This is a really big night for these kids. You know, they mm. they understand the context of the game that they were put in as well. But you know, if you're Emil Smith Rowe, you go out, you score your third goal of the season. <sighs> uh, Joe Willock, you score your first ever Arsenal goal. Fantastic. These guys, uh, you know, who came on in the second half, Saka, Gilmore, uh, Zek Medley, you know, coming on and and performing and showing that you've got some potential. And, you know, if there is uh, a downside to the Europa League, it is games like this. And, I, you know, that was my fear with this one as well, that it was going to be a stupefying nil-nil, uh, like we saw yeah. last season at times. I really thought that might be the case. But what we got was enough from these young players, enough quality, enough uh, incision, enough creativity, enough uh, hard work and effort and organization to get us a 3-0 win away from home in a European game. And I don't think that can ever be sniffed at. So let's let's take it on a bit. Um, Team selection, I was wondering who was going to play at centre-half alongside um Rob Holding who was basically the only established center half in the squad I was not expecting Carl Jenkinson to do that job no and i know that Carl Jenkinson is not necessarily one of our young players he's whatever he is now 25 26 i should look this up here uh but he i thought he was great i thought Carl Jenkinson he's 26 I thought he was really good at centre half. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying he's a long term option. I'm not saying he's better than Mustafi in that role. I'm just saying that <laughs> tonight he was really he was enjoyably good, and he seemed to have a have a good time with it as well. There was a great bit actually just before you go on. There was a bit where he picked the ball up and he played it to somebody, and I think his natural fullback instincts kicked in. He went to to charge on, and Stefan Lichtstein again, Michelle, and was like, "Hey, hey." You're playing at centre-half here. Yeah. You can't go bombing up the pitch. You don't have to get up and down. Just do play your pass and get back into position. Um, I, I thought he was really good.
2: Yeah, I thought it might be Lichsteiner at centre-half just because of his experience. Yeah. I thought maybe Mohamed Alneni would be filling in back there. So it was a real surprise that it was Jenkinson. But I think you're right. I think he did everything that you could have asked of him, really. I mean, we've seen him at right-back. We've seen him at left-back. We think we know everything there is to know about him as a player, but then he plays at centre-half, and I thought I had a very good game, particularly, uh, I suppose, when Rob Holding went off, and he was the senior man at yeah, the back there yeah, next yeah. to Medley, and he kind of held things together, made that very good block uh, at one point in the second half. So this was a really good night for Carl Jenkinson, and look, I don't think it changes much as regards his long-term future, but anyone who was watching that would have thought you know there is a player in there and I, you know I, I think we'd all like to see him go on and have a, a decent club career wherever it is in the future and I think yeah. performances like tonight won't do him any harm
1: No I mean look I, I don't see any real long term future for him at Arsenal but tonight he was a handy option to have in the squad, in the context of, uh, you know, this week, uh, I think Unai Emery was absolutely right to, to do what he did tonight in terms of the team. Uh, we maybe raised a few eyebrows earlier in the Europa League campaign about how strong some of the teams were, uh, you know, the likes of Mesut Ozil and, and uh, Lacazette Aubameyang playing games. And you're thinking, okay... We're not used to this, but it makes sense because he looked at the fixture list and he knew that if we could uh, seal qualification after four games, he could play a, a, a young team in this game where the travel, we were expecting the travel to be even worse. Uh, yeah. Obviously, things changed this week with UEFA making that decision, which I think was a, an unfair decision on, on Vorskla, to be perfectly honest. There was no real reason why that game should have been moved from their home stadium to, to Kiev. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Definitely you
2: suited us, didn't it? As yeah, well.
1: it suited us. It was a strange one, wasn't it? It was one of those where you could hear the players shouting around the stadium. It's a big, big stadium, 70,000. And there was maybe 10,000 people in there. So, you know, I, I feel a little bit for them in that regard, but also fuck them uh, at the same time. Uh, but of course, uh, yeah, of course. So I've completely forgotten the point I was making. Oh yeah, the team selection, you know, bringing all the kids and giving the kids a chance as well. You know, I mean, he brought Mikatarian and wheeled him out for the press conference and then didn't play him at all. I don't think there's anything... I don't think we can read anything into that. I just think the context of the game was such that, you know, he, he saw that he could use three kids and give them the opportunity rather than, than use Mikatarian, who might have been handy if we'd needed to get something from the game. But uh, but there you go. I mean, yeah, team, well,
2: his, substitu- yeah. his substitutions were as telling as his team selection, you know, when you're bringing off... Centre half after an hour of the game, like mm. he did with Rob Holding. Yeah, it's only because he's got one thing in mind, isn't it? He, he, you know, he knew that Holding was in contention, strong contention for a place on Sunday. He's probably very likely to start, and Ramsey and Gunduzi, you know, they could play some part on Sunday. And yeah. The fact they were withdrawn was just a way of protecting them, and I was pleased to see that. I thought, I mean, Emery's got to be really pleased with how tonight played out, not only. Did he sort of get away with it in terms of he managed his squad? He rested a lot of players and he got the result. He won the group. But he also, I think, learned a lot about some of these younger players who he can't have that much knowledge of. He's been had so much to do since he first arrived in the job. I'm sure, you know, pouring over the under-23 games probably isn't top of his priorities right now. Uh, so he'll probably come away feeling... Pretty positive mm. about some of the talent that he's got available
1: moving forward. Yeah, true. I mean, he, he did say I think before the game that the, the the young players they train with the first team a lot, you know, particularly yeah. the ones like Smith Rowe, Maitland Niles, Willock. You know, they're in and around the first team training on a on a fairly regular basis, so so he can keep an eye on them or have a look at them in that in that sense. But in a properly competitive environment, you know, that's the way that you can really judge a player and and what they're capable of. Emile Smith-Rowe, 18 years of age. He scored three goals already this season. Uh, you know, let's let's try as much as possible these days to to keep the hype train in the station. But, but, choo-choo, <laughs> get on board the Emile Smith-Rowe Express. He, he really does yeah. look like a fantastic uh, talent, doesn't he? He's got the potential that we haven't really seen from an 18-year-old in quite some time. I am not making any comparisons to any other player, but, you know, pure talent and the impact he's able to have at 18 is quite telling as to where he might be able to go if things continue this way in his career.
2: I think that's a really good point because you see a lot of 18-year-olds come into games and they can look tidy or they can, you know, they can look decent. But he's actually able to make game-changing impacts and score goals, as we've seen. I mean, three goals, it might have been four, were it not for a very, very late offside flag. And the way he sort of comes in, particularly when he's playing off that left, I mean, and, and the way he pops up in the box, I don't want to make comparisons either, but we've certainly seen some really uh, iconic Arsenal players doing just that haven't we you know popping up off that left hand side with that knack that knack of appearing in the 6 yard box or the 18 yard box in the right place at the right time and having the composure and the technique to finish and and I mean, uh, in my very detailed notes, I wrote down ESR <laughs> touch. And what I meant by that was, particularly in the first half, sometimes the ball would be fizzed into him, be yeah. it by Maitland-Niles or one of the centre-halves. And he, he just is able to cushion it with his instep mm. so brilliantly. His close control is great. He's got a sprint in him as well. He, he seems like a very Emery kind of player you know there are things about him when I see Mkhitaryan play at the weekend and then I see Smith Rowe tonight I can see that in the same way that he likes Mkhitaryan he might like Smith Rowe because he you know he plays in, sh- in bursts a lot of the time
1: he works uh, really hard though as well doesn't he he yeah. works so hard there was a moment maybe just before Gendouzi came off and the ball I think Smith Rowe might have lost the ball or got tackled or something and the ball rolled past Gendouzi who was dead in his feet he wasn't moving and Smith-Rowe charged down the line, charged down the touchline to get back and make a tackle. And I can't remember exactly how it, how it worked out. But what I remember is the effort that he put in, even at that late stage in the game. You know, the, the, the talent is also coupled with hard work. Do you remember in one of the games a couple of weeks ago? I don't know if it was a Europa League game or one of the Carabao Cup games. He might have come on as a substitute. I can't remember the context, but all I remember is that we lost the ball high up the pitch. They came forward down their right-hand side, crossed the ball, dangerous cross to the back post. There was one of their guys coming in, and who was there to head the ball behind, but Smith Rowe, uh, who had mm. basically run the length of the pitch to keep track with with the attack. So not only is there talent, there's diligence, there's hard work, there's awareness, uh, and a willingness to to put in the hard yards and those are difficult yards to put in when you're when you played you know the full game or even if you've just come on as a substitute you know you're not quite warmed up yet i i think there's a lot to like about that aspect of his game as well that really um fills me with some promise for him
2: yes and I also think a lot's been said about his physical development in the last you know, 12 months even 6 months but you have to say for an 18 year old you know the way he's able to muscle people off the ball to retain possession under pressure is really impressive and you know ally that with the technical ability that he's got and there's a real player on our hands and it's incredible in fact how he has sort of leapfrogged uh, certain other younger players in the squad even guys who did well tonight someone like you know Joe Willock or, or something like that, and 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 Eddie Nketiah. He mm. has sort of moved it from since his performances in pre season. He's moved ahead of all these guys, Maitland Niles, and he's one of those people who you know he's been on the bench in the Premier League quite often. Uh, he really is on the on the fringes of the first team now, and uh, I, 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 he did his his case no harm again
1: tonight. I'm really excited about him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going overboard to say that you could see how he would be a useful option in the Premier League for us in certain yeah, games, particularly so in the absence of Danny Welbeck, because he does give us this ability to to put him on, on the right-hand side, on the left-hand side. You know, he's got a knack for a goal. He is going to work hard when he comes on. He's got lovely touch. I think your point about the way that he controls the ball is excellent. And I think there's there's something to be said about the way that the ball is played into him, particularly by senior players. You know, if they're fizzing the ball into you, it's because they know that you're capable of controlling it. Mm. Ramsey in particular played him a couple of passes where he had to hit it hard because he's got to make the pass and get it through the angles. But he knew that, that Smith-Rowe was uh, capable of, of taking the ball, not losing it. It wasn't just going to bounce off him and, and back into danger. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot to like about this kid. Uh, Ramsey won a penalty. Penalty for you or not? Or was it a bit generous? or How did you view that?
2: It was one of those when I first saw it, I thought, I can't really see what he's given that for. You know, it sort of seemed like a very softer war. But when you watch it, I mean, the defender is very, very clumsy. I don't think he can have too many complaints. Uh, yeah. uh, on, on reflection, I'd say probably
1: a penalty. What about you? I didn't think so at the uh, in real time. I was looking at it guy. No, <laughs> he's, he's He's fallen over there. And he just stuck his arms out and was like, ah, oh, come on. And I thought, actually, that the referee was going to give him a yellow card when he blew his whistle. I thought he was going to book him for really? diving. But uh, the replay show, I think the guy, you know, stuck his leg between Ramsey's legs and, hey, you know, that's a foul. Um, probably anywhere else on the pitch, you're going to get a free kick for that, so why not a penalty? He, he stood up and uh, dispatched it. Uh, as the captain on the night, he took the responsibility and put it away. And then Joe Willock with, uh, I think you could almost divide Joe Willock's performance in two, pre-goal and post-goal. Pre-goal, I thought he was all right, a little bit quiet. Post-goal, it was like he was pumped up with confidence and belief, really got stuck in. I mean, the the, the finish was lovely. Maybe the keeper could have done a bit better there, Maybe or, or maybe a better keeper would have saved it might be a... A way of putting that, but he's got to be delighted with his first goal for the club. And I think after that, he really, really grew into the game.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, he was playing in a relatively unfamiliar role because ostensibly he was starting on the right hand side. But he's been having a brilliant season with the under 23s. I know it's something that George Bird has written about for us, Blog News how he's kind of blossomed this season in that side. And it's been in a more advanced role. He's been playing more like a kind of number 10 almost. Mm. Uh, And he's been making a real impact in the final third in those youth team games. And we saw that here. And yes, I think the keeper didn't do great, but maybe he was a bit unsighted because Willock took the shot relatively early. Uh, And from that point on, he did really improve. And I think it was as much about... He seemed to have more freedom positionally from that point. You know, after after the goal, he was cropping up all over the place, on the left, through the middle, deep. And he's someone who I always liked last season, whenever I saw him. It was mm. generally in deeper roles as part of that sort of double pivot at the base of the midfield. But he, he showed tonight, I think, that he's got more than that to offer going forward. Yeah. And it was a, a good night for someone who's been a little bit maybe... Forgotten, you know, he, he's someone who was involved in the cups quite a lot last season, but then hasn't really had much of a look in this year. So I, I think it was really important and really positive for him to have a, a good performance tonight in front of Emory.
1: Yeah, and look, the second half we bring on three substitutes: uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, Charlie Gilmore, and Zach Medley. <laughs> Medley had two touches, James. Uh, there was one where I think Genduzi lost the ball and just sort of poked it backwards, and Medley stepped forward and took a beautiful touch. And then there was another one where the defender was coming in to close him down really quickly, just a little drag back, and you know gave himself space for a pass. Really calm, really composed. Uh, again, yeah. I know our sample size is is very small here, but you know when a young player comes into a side uh, and and just shows a moment or two, it's that thing that gives you the belief, isn't it? It's that thing where you go, yeah. This is the guy, left footed yeah. center half. We've been crying out for one of those, and here he is okay. blossoming from within, growing through the, through the cracks in our pavement. Zach Medley, the, the next Tony Adams. Um, no, again, again, I'm just joking. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's nice to see young players feel confident enough to, 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 to have those moments in games.
2: Yeah, the long-awaited successor to Mikael Silvestre as a left-footed centre-half. No, I I thought he was really good. I mean, that first touch he... It wasn't actually his first touch in the game, but that first little bit of skill he Mm. produced... Um, it was like a dummy and then a drive forward just showed that he was just, he was really confident he was in the first team squad earlier in the season wasn't he when we had a bit of an injury crisis I feel like yeah. he was on the bench for a game uh, a while back he's quite a nice story as well because he's a, a boyhood Arsenal fan he grew up supporting Arsenal he was at Chelsea um, mm. in their academy until I think 2016 2017 and like Eddie Nketiah he's someone who made the switch from uh, from Chelsea to Arsenal in his teens. So as an Arsenal fan, that must have meant a lot to him and it'd be great to see him make the grade. I mean, look, it's uh, it, it, we saw moments from him, but you have to say, given that it was his debut, given that he was coming off the bench, which famously is quite tricky, I think, as a centre-half yeah. to come on in the middle of the game, adjust to the pattern of play, adjust to the tempo. I thought he was, he was really, really good and he's got height, he's got a left foot, so he's got a chance.
1: Yeah, look, fair play to him. He came on, did well, and uh, we saw the game out without any real incident. Had a goal disallowed. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a bit harsh. I think if you watch the replays again, there's a very slight foul by Enkedia on the defender, but I'm not sure if that's why he gave it or if he gave it for offside. But uh, you know, Smith Rowe, Smith Rowe, when he scored, I was worrying. I was wondering why he wasn't as delighted as he should have been. And I think he'd obviously had a look across the line and maybe saw saw the uh, the linesman having a think about it. But it seemed to take a long time to disallow the goal, didn't it? They'd gone through a couple of replays. Yeah.
2: Well, it was one of those where it sort of had gone through a couple of defenders by the time it reached smith throw So I think it, as he put it in, he sort of thought, this was too easy. There's something mm. not right about this. Um and I do think the offside decision was probably incorrect because although Eddie and sort of moves vaguely towards the ball, it's not like he makes a particularly concerted effort to get there. I don't think it's he was just offside kind of anyway in that direction. I don't think he was no, offside. I mean, no. if, I think if he was, it was a fraction. And even so, I don't think he really was involved in the play. So I think that one did go against us. But to be honest, over the course of the game, I felt like the referee was decent enough and sort of gave enough in our favour that I would forgive him that I mean it didn't matter ultimately sure. in the night but uh, yeah I I, uh, I mentioned for Sacco as well who came on and I thought yeah. he was bright it was interesting particularly in those last 20 minutes I mean Ketty and Sacco probably could have passed to each other a bit more than they did but you could see how desperate <laughs> both players were to get on the score sheet yeah. particularly Ketty. yeah
1: he was unlucky with one late on which went wide and then there was a lovely move with Willock and uh, I think Saka was, uh, or Enkedia was looking for the pass back into the middle from Willock uh, after we'd opened them up. So, look, there was plenty of attacking potential in there. I enjoyed the bit where the referee made us retake a free kick because he obviously thought it was a goal kick, where the ball didn't go out of yeah. the box. <laughs> I was like, <going>, what?
2: what? <laughs> I saw that
1: as well. What is that? that he just obviously got That was got very mixed weird. That no, was a bit weird. And look, we've got a game... Uh, On the 13th of December, our final Europa League game, uh, we play Tottenham, we play Manchester United, then we play Huddersfield, and then it's a home game against Carabag. And you know what? I think he should play more or less the same kind of team against Carabag as he's played tonight. Because we're qualified, Mm. give the players, give the senior players a week off as we're heading into a really, really uh, busy part of the season. Because after the Carabag game, 16th of December is Southampton away. 19th of December, Tottenham at, at home in the uh, the Carabao Cup. 22nd of December, we've got Burnley. 26th, we've got Brighton. And then the 29th, we've got Liverpool before we play Fulham on the 1st of uh, December or 1st of January, rather. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of football to play. And being able to give the senior players, your first team players, if you like, A bit of a week to recharge their batteries and get the old muscles massaged and and sorted out uh, just makes an awful lot of common sense. So Emery appears to be a common sense manager as well from what we've seen tonight. And it would be great, I think, for, for us and for the kids to get another go at this.
2: Yeah, and I think they've earned it, haven't they, with their performance uh, this evening? So, uh, I'd love to see the likes of inketia Willock, Maitland, Niles getting another opportunity, mm. uh, and and it's a free hit, isn't it? Because we've you know we've won the group, we're we're well in the clear there. So, uh, I think. it, it Heading into a, a very, very busy part of the season, it's the only sensible option. So, but, uh, but I'm not worried about it. I mean, I think if they play anything like they did
1: tonight, we've got every chance of winning that game too. Absolutely. And if we don't, it doesn't really matter. You know, everyone can look no. at the game in the context in which it's being played. Um, and, and that's that. So it's win-win. Win-win-win-win-win-win unless we lose. And then it's just win-lose. And nobody's really that worried. We won't lose 18 games unbeaten. We're, on a, we're going to be the new invincibles. You know what's happening on Sunday, right? You know what you've just done? Oh. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if, if anything that we said on the podcast could actually make things happen or come to life, you know, we, we, well, would, be, we, we... would be far better positioned than we are right now.
2: Yeah, we'd be just saying stuff that we want to happen all the time. Talking about how we're millionaires constantly, (laughs) and that would just come to pass. All
1: we ever got was some Uh, jam, people. We just got some jam. I know.
2: (laughs) 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 Thank you, Hartley's, though. And listen, I've depleted that supply of jam, so if you are listening, do some more more raspberry, some more
1: strawberry, brilliant. And the apricot—they gave us some apricot. I got some apricot. Oh, yeah, that's Mm.
2: true. I think I did as well, but I was less keen on it. Yeah, me too. Go on. Uh, what was I going to say? Was I mean Sunday is such a big uh, thing looming on the horizon. Are we going to talk about it in this part, or are we, going to, are we going to save it for part two? I
1: think we'll save it for part two because we've done basically half an hour on the on the game. So we'll take a little break. We'll look at some questions. We'll discuss what's going to happen in this game on Sunday uh, and maybe a little bit... Oh, no, we won't do that because we've obviously got the RS extra on Monday to look ahead to the game against United. So let's focus everything on the Derby when we come back right after this.
0: underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
1: Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part 2 of the show where we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter. At Ars Blog and at Gunner Blog, and also on the Ars Blog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the James, we're not going to, uh, we're going to make it, James, we're going to do it maybe a little bit differently uh, tonight just because we have this big game coming up on Sunday. I think it merits a little bit of discussion. But uh, a lot of questions about what way we might line up, what the, the starting 11 is going to be. Have you got any early thoughts about what way he's going to approach this game? For example, does the fact that Rob Holding was involved tonight, even though he came off, does that make you think that maybe he's thinking about going to a back two with Socrates and uh, Mustafi? I
2: have to say, I don't think so. I don't That's not my instinct. You think he's going to um, stick with a three. I- I just think Rob Holding seems to play every game at the moment. He seems to be the guy who is asked to anchor the defence in every single match. I think he's going to play two and Rob Holding will be one. Mm. Um, I know that seems slightly counterintuitive given that Rob Holding played tonight, but I just think uh, maybe he felt that playing Mustafi or, or Socrates was a bit of a risk given how much football or their respective injury problems they might be carrying. Mm. I think it's going to be four at the back. Um, mm. But I might be wrong. I mean, what worries me about that is Kolasinac at left back. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not a natural left back. But I just feel well, like he is, going he is a
1: natural left back. You know, I think we have to get over this idea that he's just a wing back. He played a lot of football for Schalke as a left back. Maybe Let left back... Let me that then. OK. He's not a good left back... <laughs> <laughs> Is that all right? I think that's fair. From what we've um, seen so far this season, it's he's 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 more easily exposed at left back than left wing back. I think that's absolutely ironclad.
2: Well, let me say what I think would certainly happen. I think that uh, Rob Holding will play, okay. either in a two or a three. Chakran uh, Torreira will play. I... Feel pretty confident that Alex Iwobi will play. I think Pierre Emerick Aubameyang will play. Yeah, and I think Meza Erzl will play. Mm. Now, moving forward from that, you've got a couple of options. You can play the back three and have Socrates and Mustafi alongside, holding your wing backs will be Bella and Kalasenac. Your midfield two, Torreira and Shaka, and then you'd have Iwobi and Urzel behind Aubameyang. The only alternate to that is if you were to go to a back four and bring in, say, a Mikitarian mm. alongside a Wobee and or behind the striker. What do you think? Do you think it's going to be a back three or a back four? I,
1: I, I don't know. I vacillate between the two. My gut feeling tells me it's going to be a back four. But. Same. But. Yeah, I. Uh... I think there were reasons why he picked a back three against Bournemouth. I think some of those reasons were to offset the weakness we just mentioned about Kolasinac at left-back. If he does play a back four, he's going to play Iwobi on the left. Mm -hmm. And I think that means that Aubameyang will start up front, and I think it will mean Lacazette is on the bench.
2: I think that's... Gonna happen, whatever happens, simply because he's he's coming back from injury. Mm. I think Iwobi, he loves Iwobi as we know. I think Iwobi will be on the left, and Aubameyang will be up top. I'd be really, really surprised if Aubameyang and Lacazette
1: started against them. So maybe we're looking at a kind of a, you know a four-three-three in a way, perhaps. Yeah,
2: mm. perhaps. I mean, it's it, it all comes down to if they go with the back four or the back three. Do you share my? hunch that Mesut Ozil is going to play this game?
1: I would be very surprised if Mesut Ozil didn't play simply because of his stature, because of, because of everything that surrounds Mesut Ozil. I'd be really surprised if he didn't play. But at the same time, if he didn't play, it, I'd just say, okay, this is another one of those Emery decisions that's a bit out of field and... We weren't necessarily expecting. I think if he didn't play, it would open up a whole world of questions and analysis and everything else. We're looking at Mesut Ozil not having played a game now in three weeks. He hasn't played a game in three weeks going into this one. Mm. So on the one hand, you might say he's a little bit rusty. On the other hand, he's probably chomping at the bit, or you would hope that he's chomping at the bit where he didn't play against Bournemouth, didn't get on against Bournemouth, and we all understand the reasons why he didn't play, didn't start, and maybe why he didn't come on. Um, It's whether or not that decision was 100% pragmatic about getting the result last Sunday, or whether it was also a a bit about sending a message to Mesut Ozil and provoking a response. Because it feels to me like that's kind of what Emery is trying to do with Ozil like I feel like he's unconvinced by Mesut Ozil you know and he's trying his best to prod him into being the kind of player he wants him to be or feels that he could be but I'm not sure he necessarily himself feels that he's going to be able to do it and that's a lot of me speculating on people's feelings, which I understand is, is uh, just me making stuff up in my own head, essentially. But it's just the way I feel about, about the Ozil situation. I, it's where exactly he plays on Sunday if he picks him. Where do you think he will play him if he picks him? Again, it depends on what he does with the defence. Like, if he if he
2: sticks with the back three, I think he'll play the role Mkhitaryan did, which is, you know, kind of a right-sided inside-forward role. Mm. If he goes to a back four, he can play him more centrally as a kind of number 10. Yeah. Um, but either way, it's, it's, it's going to be one of those two. I, I just feel that, you know, at home, with so much rest behind him, with a bit of motivation behind him, this feels like a decent time to play as well. And I think it would be different if Mikatarian say was in terrific form, but ultimately he's not. Uh, you know, the, the guy I probably would like to see start is probably Aaron Ramsey. Had he not been so heavily involved tonight, I think he would have been in really strong contention to start on Sunday and arguably should still be. I mean, you know, I thought, I thought his performance was pretty positive, uh, Against well, he's not so, fatigued,
1: is he? Because he hasn't been playing a great deal since the whole contract thing. Yeah, you know. And I think if Emery is a pragmatic manager, and that's something that we've you you mentioned it on the last podcast, that he picks a team that he feels can get him a result and get him a performance. I think he's got to think about Ramsey, perhaps playing in that right hand side, um, because he's got the experience. He's got the not only the experience of Arsenal, but the experience of this game. The experience of a North London derby. And let me just think about the team. How many of the players that are going to play will have huge experience of a derby? You know, I think you need maybe those players who have a connection with the game. They are, they're, they're, they're weirdly different games, derbies like this. They're not like just a regular game against a strong team. There's something else. There's an extra element to it. You know, I I always make the point that when we had Bergkamp, Henri, Perez, Vieira, Gilberto, Edu, you know, Canu, all these fucking great players, and we were miles and miles and miles ahead of them on an individual basis. And also collectively, because we were winning things and they weren't. And they still aren't, by the way. I think it's fair to say they still aren't, and they still don't have a stadium. But when it came to North London Derby Day, these were always really, really, really tight games because there's something mm. else going on beyond just a game against a, a good team. And I think you might need to consider players who, who either understand that or who have that built into them in a way. And Ramsey is one of the only players, certainly is one of the longest-serving players at the club who really, really understands it. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't considering Ramsey for for some involvement. Over Ozil, I don't think so, but uh, yeah... I think he should think about that. Well, them. if you
2: go to a back four, you can play both. I mean, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. You can definitely play both if you switch to the back four. So, I mean, I mean, just to touch on a question, Jesper Nielsen says, does Ramsey's inclusion in the starting 11 tonight mean that he won't be in the team for Sunday? Would you say that because he doesn't have that much football in him, you know, he's not fatigued, that tonight doesn't mean anything really for
1: Ramsey as regards Sunday? Yeah, if, if, if Emery wants to play Aaron Ramsey, look, he can play him. Ramsey is, as we know, when he's fit, a really strong physical player. He'll run all day. He's got an amazing engine. So, you know, playing 65 minutes or whatever it was tonight, having played barely anything in the last few weeks, he's got plenty left on the, in the tank. So I wouldn't be worried about it from that point of view. I just think that the fact that he did go and he did start probably... oh Look, you could look at it two ways, couldn't you? You could look at it as... Uh, he's not going to start or it's Emery giving, some min- giving him some minutes ahead of a game in which he potentially might start just to sort of get him back up to match speed yeah
2: possibly possibly I mean if you were looking at the, the squad that Emery took away with the exception of Rob Holding who I do think sort of went simply because we don't really have enough centre-halves at the moment especially since we've been playing the back three at Bournemouth mm. uh, you would say well look he took Mkhitaryan away he took Ramsey away that could mean neither player is due to start on Sunday, and if that were the case, you'd probably be looking at the back three with Urslin and Wobie playing off for of Bamiak. Mm. And I think there is a decent chance that is what we will see.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably it. Um, it will require it will require something else, won't it, from the defensive midfield players? Real yeah. cover. Um, because Tottenham, I mean, Tottenham, as we said on on Monday when we did the Irish cast extra after Bournemouth, if they're not looking at Kalasinac and licking their lips at at how they could expose him, I'd be very surprised. Now, again, you know, I think we have to say one thing about He's He's been unconvincing and he's got a lot to do to convince me as well, but he hasn't played a lot. And he, he is that kind of a big unit who needs a few games to get himself back up to speed. So maybe yeah. having played a few times now, he'll be he'll be better and fitter and faster and more willing to do the running or more capable of doing the running. I hope that's the case. Because who, who will it be on the right for Tottenham? It'll be Trippier, who will run up and uh, down all day, won't he?
2: Yes. And I mean, if you look at the goal that Son scored against Chelsea at the weekend. I don't mm. know if you saw it, but he yeah. kind of chases a ball into that exact, exact channel, you know, beats a couple of players and, and clips home. So they have the players who can stretch us, you know, if they want, yeah. particularly on the break, people like be people like Son, um, you know, someone like Lucas Moura as well, potentially available. So they have the players to, to cause us problems there. Kolasinac will need to be... Markedly better than he has been, I think, particularly defensively. Um, And and I also think there'll be a responsibility on Shaka and Torreira to support him and provide that cover. You know, if we leave him isolated, we will have problems. Um, But yeah, I I mean, Spurs have had a good week. You know, they beat Chelsea. They beat Inter Milan, didn't they? I think uh, in the Champions League. So keeping their hopes of qualification from that uh, group alive... So they will be coming into this with void by some confidence. Uh, And it's a massive game. It's absolutely massive because I suppose a bit like that Liverpool match a few weeks ago, it feels like our unbeaten run comes under real scrutiny at this point. This is a real
1: litmus test for where we are under Unai Emery. Yeah, it's huge for Emery. It really is big for Unai Emery. You know, in terms of how we view the opening part of 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 his Arsenal career. You know, we, we enjoyed that interview, didn't we, when he talked to Marca about how we only drew with Liverpool and that's not sufficient. And I like that. Everyone likes that because, you know, you want to be beating the big teams. But so far this season under Emery, we've played Man City and lost. We've played Chelsea and lost. We played Liverpool and drew. And now we're going to face... Tottenham and Manchester United within three days of each other so it feels like a win would be really really useful for Unai Emery in these games you know uh, nobody wants no manager wants to lose their first local derby he's not going to go to to Sevilla and, and want to lose against Real Betis. you know it's it's that kind of importance he'll, he'll understand the importance of the game but it is really big for him and that's why I do think He might be considering something that we're not expecting when it comes to the team selection. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but maybe just something to put a little fork in the plans that Tottenham might have or the way they might think he's going to operate in this game or set up in this game. So it's it's a big one. And also, it's a big one for this group of players as well. We are unbeaten. We got back to winning ways against Bournemouth, but I think when you're when you're faced with the old enemy at home, you really have to put in a big performance uh, to win the game to take all three points. And he's got to get his team up for it. And like it or not, whether it's fair or not, people are going to judge him and the performance we put in on on Sunday more than they are any game that's. Uh, been played so far this season.
2: And I think that's reasonable, really, because we've had three big, big Premier League games so far this season. City, Chelsea and Liverpool. And ultimately, we haven't won any of those games. Mm. Uh, And I know Spurs is the one that a lot of people would pick to win out of those. But, you know, we've seen signs of encouragement. We've seen signs of progress. We've seen positives in some of those fixtures. But now it's time to, to produce points. And I do think that the goodwill that a derby win would buy Emery would be very precious to him. I think it'd be very valuable to him. Yeah. I think it could be, it could be really, really important to this squad as well. I think it could be a transformative thing for them to see, you know, the methods all paying dividends with a, a victory over Spurs. I just think it would, you know, do great things for the the club, mm. and it would take us to Old Trafford as well in a far stronger position. I mean, the last thing I think we want is to go and face Old uh, Manchester United at Old Trafford on the back of a bit of a dodgy result. Because yeah. if there's one... Th- I mean, look, the Spurs game worries me. It makes me nervous like it always does. I also cannot bear the thought of <laughs> this somewhat feeble Manchester United side and Jose Mourinho getting one over us in a few days' time. So it's just a massive, massive period. Mm. And Emery... You know, he'll have had it marked in his can- calendar, probably since the start of the season. Yeah, uh, and it, it does feel like it's, uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's, it's 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 not it's not make or break for him. Obviously, no, no, no. Too strong to say, but it will have a significant impact on the perception of him, certainly, and, mm. and the first six months of work that he's done at Arsenal.
1: Yeah, for sure. And look result will be one thing, performance will be another thing as well you know we've got to look at uh, not just what what the end result of this game is but how we play and that, that goes for whether we win or whether we don't win you know I think the, you can take encouragement, we might not win but you can still take encouragement from a performance um, so if we see a team that's really up for it you know what was been, what, what was quite strange about the last couple of North London derbies at the Emirates was how flat they were how flat the atmosphere was which is really Mm. really strange you know for a manager with a record over Spurs like Wenger had there was just something a bit odd about it and I do feel like maybe maybe everyone will be well and truly up for this one on Sunday and uh, look we'll, we'll keep fingers crossed that we can get the right result obviously we'll discuss it in great detail on, on Monday when we do the Arscast Extra, but let's do a couple of questions, will we, um, to, yes, to finish off let's. this one? Okay, uh, I've got one here uh, from bum, bum, bum. Magnus. Who's that? Magnus Holmberg. Who says, "What do you make of the Polish interview with Fabianski and Chesney, where they made some fun of Wenger? On a scale of one to ten, just how fed up do you think they were with Wenger and the way the club operated toward toward the end of their spells with the club?
2: Well, I mean, I think it, in this instance, it's less about Arsene Wenger and more yeah. about uh, Jerry Payton. I mean, I think, you know, they do kind of take the mickey slightly out of Wenger, but it's in a very affectionate way. I you agree, know, In the yeah. same way that if you, if you ever see Ray Parlour impersonate Arsene or something like that, it's done with a great deal of, of love um. But when they're talking about the goalkeeping coaching situation at Arsenal, which I know is something you've spoken about and alluded to on this podcast before, I mean it really is eye-opening and well, eye-watering. I mean it's really crazy, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the if you haven't seen it, we should probably explain. But it, it basically is uh, them Fabianski and Chesney. Almost laughing, really, about some of the substandard training they were subject to uh, during their time with Arsenal. And not from Arsene Wenger, I should point out, mm. but from the, the goalkeeping coach at the time, who was Jerry Pate.
1: Yeah, like one of the things that, that uh, they were told, the instruction they got when facing Chelsea, Hazard, when he takes a penalty, he'll try and put it in the opposite direction to which you're going. I mean, <laughs> What? Uh, and then there was the video they did a video thing and he brought all the goalkeepers in and played them uh, a video which was about four minutes of Chesney conceding goals some of which he could have done better with and at the end of it he just turned the video off and went see you're not perfect you know which (laughs) you know I can kind of get you you might want to give a goalkeeper or a player a short, sharp kick up the arse but it was so the way they told the story it was clearly just not it didn't have that effect, you know. Did not no. did not have that effect. And look, here's the thing. Since Fabianski left Arsenal, he sort of rebuilt his reputation at Swansea, enhanced it, and got a move to West Ham. And is now considered by many people uh, a very good goalkeeper in a long, long way from the the old flappy Hansky thing that that dogged him while he was at Arsenal. Wojciech mm. Szczesny has gone off on loan, played two seasons for Roma, one of which he kept Allison, who Liverpool spent 65 million pounds on. He kept him on the bench and now he's playing for Juventus where he's replaced uh, Buffon. So I think it's fair to say that both of them have made progress since leaving Arsenal and receiving better tutelage as goalkeepers. And people say, well, they had their chances, they didn't perform. But imagine if you go to work every day Uh, and your boss is an absolute, well, okay, I don't want to say an absolute anything. I'm just saying that if your boss is substandard, and you know he's substandard, and all your colleagues know that he's substandard, how do you stay motivated for that job? Even with the best will in the world, it's got to get you down, or you got to think this is a ludicrous situation. Particularly when the big boss, who's sitting up in the corner office, looking out over the, the city view, he knows fine well that your direct boss is substandard and doesn't do anything about it. Nothing. Same guy yeah. doing the same bad job day in, day out, day in, day out. And you as an employee, you realize, I'm not improving. I'm never going to improve with this guy. And what can you do? It's not like you can like get your own coach and bring him to training. That's not how it works. So, you know, as much as I love Arsene Wenger and, and everything that he did, one of his major flaws was being far too loyal to people and not changing things around enough over the years. Even after the 2017 FA Cup final, when he got the new deal, all his, all his uh, coaches' contracts were tied to his. So he could easily have brought in a new goalkeeping coach at that point. Instead, he renewed a guy who'd had two hip replacements and spent a lot of time around the training ground on crutches. I mean, this is your goalkeeping coach. It's, it's nuts. And like you, I don't think they were in any way disrespectful towards Wenger. I thought Fabianski was brilliant, wasn't he? Where They were doing the, uh, look, uh, uh, yeah. I really want you to stay, but you can go. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was quite affectionate. More, It wasn't them slagging off Wenger for me.
2: No, I agree with you entirely As an interesting point actually I don't know if you saw uh, There were some numbers today I tweeted them on my timeline They were put together by uh, GK1 who, Which is an industry goalkeeping magazine It's literally like right. uh, Bought and read primarily by goalkeepers And they're doing some work Trying to uh, dive a bit deeper um, as regards goalkeeping statistics for example when they look at a save they won't just look at a save made they look at shot location shot destination how sighted the goalkeeper is the power of the shot mm. the quality of the save anyway they do this deep statistical analysis on all the goalkeepers in the Premier League and uh, right now under new coaching Petr Cech Bernd Leno and Lucas Fabianski are ranked statistically by them in the top five goalkeepers in the Premier League right and um, Which I think tells you something about the fact that these guys do have some real natural talent. I mean, Czech as it happens, is actually number one by a distance in terms of his numbers in the Premier League. Leno is third and Edison's in between them. Then you've got Alisson, then Fabianski. So I suppose the players will be vindicated by the fact that with new coaching, with new methods, with the correct support... They are now performing to something like their potential.
1: Yeah, quite interestingly, when Fabianski went to Swansea, he brought a goalkeeping coach who was at Arsenal, Tony Roberts, went with him yeah. to Swansea, and that was somebody who he worked with very closely. But uh, the the now Arsenal goalkeeping coach, Javi Garcia, who's with Unai Emery, he came to Swansea that season as well and is somebody that worked with Fabianski, and Fabianski spoke very highly of. And I think... You know, we can look at Arsenal's defensive issues last season as a as a factor, but to my mind, until he got injured, Petrček was far better this season than he was last season, Mm -hmm. and maybe the season before. And regardless of how good you are as a goalkeeper, if you've got if you don't have the right coaching to push you and to to really push you out of your comfort zone, you're gonna your performances are gonna suffer. And if that happens to an established experienced goalkeeper like Petr Čech, imagine what it what it's like for a goalkeeper like Szczesny and Fabianski in their early to mid 20s, still really young in the in the uh in the life of a goalkeeper. Imagine how difficult it is and was for them, which isn't to excuse any of their, you know, both of them I I think would say they made mistakes on the pitch and off the pitch in Szczesny's case. They didn't probably comport themselves as well as they could, but uh, you know, it, it really is chalk and cheese. What's going on in terms of the coaching? And yeah, I think uh, I think it's kind of in a way it's kind of sad that two goalkeeping talents like that, and I'm I think maybe one in particular. I think Chesney. For me, I still have a little place in my heart for Vojtech Chesney. Uh, you, that maybe with better coaching we could have him still at the club, an Arsenal fan, uh, growing up at the club and being our goalkeeper. You know, yeah, it's it's a bit sad. As mad and weird and laughable as it is, it's also a bit sad that, that these talents left.
2: Yeah, and I think that... You know, goalkeeper, it's such a specific coaching requirement, isn't it? It's not like if you've got a manager, Mm. they'll necessarily be able to provide the specialist coaching that a goalkeeper requires. It really is something that, you know, it needs an expert in that field to come in and and be that guy. And we have that now, and I'm grateful that we have it now, particularly with Leto being the age that he is. I'm sure it's going to be Mm. invaluable to him moving forward, but it does feel like we wasted... Some real natural talent by not giving them the the correct support, and that is, as you say, a real shame. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's have another question. This is from uh, fabulously nebulous, who's at Kick Run Explore, uh, and they say, "Can you list down the traits that make Shaka a better player than El Neni? El has a better engine, is faster, better in the air, less prone to committing blunders, better disciplinary record." and can play occasional through and long balls.
1: <laughs> They're very occasional. Um,
2: yes, he did play one for uh, Joe Willock, didn't he, tonight? Mm, well, it was but, a pass I mean, in
1: midfield. I think any one of us could have played that pass, in fairness. I don't think that you was... Speak you could, yourself. <laughs> okay, I will, I will. I could have played that pass, that's all I'm saying. Um, OK. What okay. makes Xhaka a better option in midfield? Better range of passing... Better vision, stronger physically, better set piece delivery.
2: And I think he's better in the air than El Neni as well. Yeah, actually, I don't I would, think that's true. El he's better. In the air.
1: I would say so. I think El is a perfectly fine six out of ten player, week in, week out. Occasionally a seven, sometimes a seven and a half. But that's it. And I realize that Xhaka can sometimes give you a a four or a five. But I think he's more consistently a seven than a six, if that makes sense. And Elneny is tidy. He'll keep the ball moving. But he's he's a more conservative player than Xhaka. And when you look at the, the past statistics and how much Xhaka is involved in building our attacking play, I think that's the main reason. Whereas Elneny doesn't really build attacking play. He helps us keep possession, but I don't think he really helps us build uh, anything from an attacking point of view. So that would be my thinking on that.
2: Yeah, I think the the range of passing, the pace of passing... The he penetrative can, nature of his passing. The shooting. It's the, it's the, the, you know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, his set-piece delivery. Mm, I said that. Uh, oh, you said that, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's. I think there's... I think he's a, a better footballer than Elneny. I think Elneny is being a little bit unfortunate, maybe at present, in terms of how little game time he's getting. I'm not sure, say, that he's markedly... I, I'm not sure he's as much... What am I trying to say? I'm not sure Guendouzi is that much far ahead of Elneny that the playing time would suggest.
1: Yes, I I would agree with that. I'd agree with that. There were a couple of moments tonight where Genduzzi showed his inexperience, which is going to happen because he's 19, etc., etc., but just needed to move the ball a bit more quickly. El Neni got caught in a terrible situation, didn't he? Where he made a r- really weird decision to pass the ball or to try and kick the ball. Just yeah. came off the, the, the attacker's legs and he went through on goal. It was a terrible attempt uh, at a shot. But I don't think he did himself any real uh, favors when it, came to getting, when it comes to getting back into the first team tonight, El Neni. I don't think there was yeah. anything that Unai Emery would have said, ooh ooh, okay, I've seen something there that I haven't seen before. I think what he saw tonight from Elneny is exactly why he's been on the bench for the entire Premier League campaign.
2: And I think that what Emery is thinking is if Elneny is that six, and maybe Ganduzi is sometimes that six too, I think he thinks, and I mean six out of ten, sorry, not six positionally. um, I think Emery thinks, well, Ganduzi has the potential Yep to be an 8 out of 10 player on a reg- relatively regular basis. And I think he looks at Arneny and thinks, that's just what he is. He's always mm. going to be that 6 out of 10 guy. Mm. Um, Squad
1: fodder and a useful guy to have at the team. Okay, here is a question from Thomas Berry, who's at The Big Ray Gun. The Big Ray Gun. Okay. Uh, we might need one of those. You never know. Uh, anyway, he says, after a pretty good showing from the kids in Kiev... What are your favourite Young Guns performances? Sesk's debut, a delightful chip from Carlos Vela, or something more obscure?
2: Uh, I think immediately of a game against Sheffield United. I feel like maybe Carlos Vela scored a hat trick. Uh, yes, Arsenal 6, Sheffield United 0, September 2008, and Carlos Vela did indeed score a hat trick. Uh, and it was, I think Jack Wilshere also scored in the game. Uh, I'm going to try and get the starting eleven up now because okay. I feel like it was one of those where, you know, I really felt like I was watching the the new iteration of the Invincibles. You know, five years on. So the team that day was Fabianski in goal, whoa, uh, Hoyt, Juru, mm-hmm. Alex Song, Kieran Gibbs, Mark Randall, and Aaron Ramsey. Wow, there's a midfield. Yeah, uh, Fran Merida, who was replaced by Francis Coquelin. The next Fabregas. Uh, Jack Wilshire, Nicholas Bentner and Carlos Vela. Um, oh my God. Off the bench came Francis Coquelin, Henry Lansbury and Jay Simpson. Oh my uh, God.
1: At, How much did we invest in ga- all those guys?
2: I know, and that game finished with a Vela hat-trick two for bentner and one for wilshire um, wow. so yeah that's that i i remember it being a brilliant performance vella was on his sort of his chippy best form uh, bentner looks like the new i don't know I can't even think of it at <laughs> the news. Potentially,
1: lockdown. potentially the greatest striker that ever lived. Potentially the greatest
2: striker ever lived, yes, exactly. Uh, and Jack Wilshere scored a cracking goal, I think, playing off the right wing from the edge of the box with his left foot. So, yeah, that, that springs wow. to mind for me. Uh, what about what about you? Any particular games that you can think of?
1: Um, I, re- I mean, I think... Or performances. N- the Nicolas Anelka goal against Manchester United was... His first oh. Arsenal goal, I think. And he played a bit during that season. He started here and there and he'd play, come on as a sub here and there as well. And we were looking at him going, what's, what's this kid all about? What's, what's going on with this guy? And then he did that against United and it was like, okay, okay. There's something going on here. And I know people will probably laugh at this one, but Philippe Senderos against Bayern Munich. Oh, what a performance. What a performance that was from a young centre half to come in and play against a team like Bayern Munich. I think we'd lost the first leg and, uh, you know, he came into the team. He was outstanding. He won everything in the air, cam on the ball, composed. And that was, you know, like like Vela, like Bender, like all these players who were, were coming through at that time. We were all thinking, OK, these, these, these kids, they can take us right to the top and I thought that about Senderos when I saw him play that way against Bayern Munich I thought wow this guy this guy is going to go all the way and unfortunately it didn't happen for various reasons and uh, actually there's an episode of the the Arscast if you go back in the archives you can listen to me and Philippe talking about his career and how it didn't go the way he expected but that performance that night it really stands out for me still stands out for me and not just because I'm you know I'm wearing my Philippe Senderos t-shirt here as we're recording but because it was sure. actually that good. It really was good.
2: It was. He was sensational that night. And uh, I really did hold out hope of a kind of... A pair of Swiss defensive titans in Senderos and Juru kind of inheriting those first team places. And it, it felt very plausible at one stage. But yeah. it wasn't to be. It wasn't um, to be. Uh, well... Look, uh what were we answering a question? Oh yes, we were about our favorite youth team moments. Yeah. I've got a question here from Matt Horner. And we had sort of variance on this question today, but Matt says, "What realistically is
1: Jenkinson's level?" I I think he could probably play for a Premier League team, couldn't he? You look down and some of the some of the players playing for teams at the bottom of this table and they're, they're not great. They are yeah. where they are because that's what their level is. And I think that's probably what his level is. I think it's probably... Lower reaches of the Premier League. Lower reaches of the Premier League championship, for sure. But, you know, I... I, I think you have to have a cold, hard heart not to enjoy it when Carl Jenkinson comes in the team and does well. And with, with, oh, not definitely. to slag him off or anything like that, but just because he's kind of he's living the dream. He is living the dream. An Arsenal fan died in the wall, rabid Arsenal fan, playing for his club, and he's gone out tonight and he's played at centre half. And I know the opposition weren't great, but he still he still uh, acquitted himself well. And he'll go home tonight and he'll be fucking chuffed. Carl Jenkinson, won't he? Did you see that picture of him getting on the plane? No, no, I haven't. There was a picture of him getting on the plane on the way to Ukraine, and it's just, it captures him, and he's just sort of looking, and he's just staring into the distance, and he has this sort of, I won't say mournful look on his face, but he's sort of looking around and going, whoa, it's real. It's real, I am. I'm an Arsenal player. This is fucking great. I'm just going to sit down here. Just sit down before anyone notices just gonna sit here oh it's taken off the plane's taken off you never know I might get a game and he got his game and I think there's something just wonderful about that you know he's not gonna be a guy who's gonna be a a regular in our team when everyone's fit that's not that's not where it is and that's not what's gonna happen for him but if and when he's called upon he can he can do himself and do the team proud why the hell not why the hell not?
2: Do you think that's why he's still an Arsenal player? Do you, because no. presumably he's had opportunities to move away. No, uh, I think I think it's know. to
1: do with the injury this summer. You know, I think the injury that he had in pre-season meant that he couldn't move, uh, and I, I think that more than anything is it. I don't think they've kept him around for for sentimental reasons. I just think. No, it's... but do you
2: think for him, do you think maybe, you know, I know he was close to Crystal Palace and stuff last season and didn't end up doing the deal. Yeah. Uh, or maybe that was the season before, actually. Do you think he, it would be a wrench for him to leave? Do you think he enjoys sure, his sure. limited role?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure he would enjoy the limited role, but I'd say it would be a wrench to leave. You know, if you get to. I mean, he's gone out on loan a few times, and if the loan spells had gone well, maybe he would have ended up permanently at one of the clubs, you know. So I I don't think it's necessary that he is refusing to leave or anything like that. I'm not saying it doesn't suit him to stay or hang around, but I don't think there's anything that cynical. Maybe he just didn't want to... Was it Sam Allardyce who was trying to sign him for... um, It was Sam Allardyce for Palace, You know, maybe, maybe Carl Jenkinson is such... Uh, a committed Arsenal fan that he thought, fuck Sam Allardyce. Fuck that fucking that. big fat fucking walrus prick. I'm not going to play for that cunt. I'll stay here. Who could blame him? Who could blame Who him? Who could blame him? Could you blame him?
2: Certainly not me. Certainly, Certainly not me.
1: Certainly not you. Um, I'm trying to think, if I got one uh, question i do okay Go just on, to then. sort of finish us off uh today it comes from eric no it doesn't sorry eric Bolden. sorry about that this is on facebook i'm looking <laughs> at it's the one above eric Bo- bolden bolden i got his name I... not only did i not do his question i fucked up his name so sorry eric bolden uh this is from jonathan mills who says which ex okay. arsenal player pre-social media would you have loved to see a Twitter or Instagram account of during their playing days?
2: There's a few that spring to mind. I mean, I'm sure there are times where Tony Adams and, you know, Paul Merson would have been quite interesting (laughs) to follow on social media. Yeah, Uh, I think during their playing days... Mm. I think he, I think I have to say Ian Wright. That's exactly
1: because, what I was thinking.
2: <laughs> I mean, he's pretty great on social media now, and he was so outspoken as a player. I think he has mellowed slightly. I don't think you mind me saying that. Uh, and, and yeah, slightly, to have slightly, yeah, <laughs> slightly. But you know, if his, his if his spat with Peter Schmeichel had been played out on the internet as well as the football pitch, it would have been very entertaining. <laughs>
1: Uh, there were a number of spats that could have been played out on the internet. It's True. probably better that they weren't. But for entertainment purposes, it, it, it might have been. It might have been something to look at. Yeah. If you haven't, by the way, read uh, Ian Wright's piece in the Players Tribune this week. Uh, I highly recommend you you get on and and read that. A, a absolutely brilliant piece, uh, James.
2: Yeah, yeah it is I mean, uh, prepared to shed a tear. I would say because <clears> it's quite moving, actually. And it's an incredible football story, one of the great football stories, Ian Wright's story. Uh, yeah, and he was such a brilliant player, and his accomplishments are so often spoken about that you do almost forget how how close he came to never really entering the professional game. Yeah, and, uh,
1: yeah, uh, he it's amazing Ar- how. Go on, go on. I was just going to say he came to Arsenal at 28, and became the club's all-time leading goalscorer before Thierry Henry overtook him I mean imagine signing can you even envisage signing a 28 year old striker now who would go on and score that many goals and be that influential it's so well, hard it's like Aubameyang,
2: Aubameyang was that <laughs> kind of a rage yeah and if I, and if I said to you oh, i would become the record goal scoring in Arsenal's history you just wouldn't believe it was feasible
1: apparently Aubameyang has got to 20 goals quicker than uh, either Ian Wright or Thierry That's Henry true. so that is true uh,
2: so don't write, don't rule it out. But uh, yeah, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant piece, and um, I think one of the nice things about it is that for all Ian Wright's success, he clearly holds those people who helped him out along the way in the highest regard. You know, whatever capacity they were in, and uh, yeah. it's a very lovely story from well, that perspective.
1: I think that was the. I think that for me, that was the thing that made the story. It's not just that Ian Wright almost made it, then didn't, then came back or or got his chance again and then finally took his chance, it wasn't like I battled against the odds and I came yeah. through in the end. It was like, okay, I battled against the odds and things were very difficult for me, but this guy helped me and this man helped me, my teacher helped me and Steve Koppel helped me and Steve Foster was the, 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 the captain at Brighton. All these people who helped him along the way were intrinsic to the story that he tells. So it's not just, uh, somehow I overcame the odds and became a great player. It was not that. You know, it was the fact that he included those people and credited those people for the influence and the impact that that they had on him, both as a a footballer and a person. Uh, that, That really is what makes that particular story great.
2: Yeah, it's not just the story of a man who's very good at football and achieves all his dreams as a consequence. It's a much more human story than that. Mm. And uh, it's a a terrific read. So yeah, if you haven't read it, do check it out. Do check it out. Uh, He did a good documentary as well that's on ITV player for people in the UK called Out of Their Skin, which is about, it's celebrating the anniversary of Viv Anderson, I think, becoming the first Black England player. And it's sort of about uh race in modern football and the steps that still need to be taken sure. so I God, haven't seen that it's a good uh it's a decent two part yeah. thing yes yeah, so it's worth a watch
1: for. I'll have to track I'll have to track that down uh, I suppose just one other player who might have been quite good on social media was uh, Morris Voltz who was a German oh, yeah. right back who ended up at Fulham who had who had a, a website uh, com, in which he chronicled his life in London and didn't he have a weird, what was the theme tune to his, oh, it was that fucking Sting song, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think I'm an so. Englishman
1: in New York, but he'd somehow translated yeah. him. I'm a German in the UK, but whatever part of Germany he came from, I can't remember which, I'm a Bavarian in London, whatever it was. He would have been yeah. good value on social media, I think. Is he on? He would have been great. Is he on these days? I don't
2: know. Where is he now,
1: Moritz Fultz? I don't know. I think we should Google him. But he he doesn't appear to have a Twitter. And he doesn't appear to have an Instagram. So where is he? He's 35
2: now. He had a lot of injury problems, didn't he, as a youngster?
1: Who? After retirement in the summer of 2015, Volz worked as a scout for TSV 1860, and he is of current Arsenal's main German scout. That's in. That's according wow. to Wikipedia. So I think we have to take that with a pinch of salt, and also the fact that whoever wrote it was not necessarily speaker to English that good. Um, no.
2: but maybe he's involved. We know that ex-players have been involved with scouting, people like Danny Cabassaun. So perhaps he is.
1: Yeah, Perhaps Danny and who I'm told quite, uh, uh, what's the word? What's the word when something's ironclad? You're told, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. With With degree like of to- certainty. Yeah, degree of certainty. That he's definitely 100% going to bring us uh, Christian Pulisic. Great. Thank goodness for that. This may not be true information. Okay, right. I'm just saying it to get our American <laughs> listeners a bit excited there for a second. Sorry about that. I think that, it folks. worked. I felt yeah. it. I you felt, felt it.
2: This, this, it
1: deep, yeah. deep within your loins. Final question, James, before we go yeah. today, comes from West Antone at West Antone. This I have to say is a difficult question, so you might need to think about it. All right, okay. just think about it. Going to ask it. Don't rush into an answer. You All just, right. you just tell me, tell me All what right. comes straight to the top of your head. He says okay. what. Do you think of Tottenham? Ah!
2: No, I'm going to go with my gut. Okay, I'm going to go with my gut. My first impulse.
1: Shit! Oh, I'm, I'm, but what do you think of shit? Weirdly, mm. Tottenham. Thank you. Love. Well, That's all right. As ever, folks, thanks a million for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll be back on Monday, hopefully, with a goodly morning after the North London London Derby on Sunday. Uh, Have a great weekend. Until then, and we'll catch you on the next one.
2: Bye-bye.